as we have been reading through the book of John as a church over and over again. We've been reading stories of lives that were changed by Jesus Christ. Um, and last week we read um, the story from the beginning of, of John chapter 9 of Jesus healing a man who had been born blind. It was the story of a life that was completely changed um, by the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus reminded his disciples and followers that he is the light of the world. And then he proved that by giving light and giving sight to the man who didn't have either. We also read in verse 4, Jesus told his disciples just before he gave this man sight, we must do the work of the one who sent me. That work, bringing light to the darkness, to bring light, to bring knowledge and the love of God to the world that doesn't know him. That work that Jesus said to his followers and disciples we must do, that's now the work of all Christians. That is the work that we are called to continue, to bring light to the darkness, to bring the knowledge and the love of God to the world. That work is to share the gospel it's to make God's name known in our world. And this week, we're going to continue reading chapter 9. We're going to read of how this miracle was received by the religious teachers of the law. These religious teachers, the Pharisees, they were the leaders of the local synagogues. We've got a picture of what the, those synagogues might have looked like, probably a little bit more complete. It will come up in a moment. These Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they were where people turned to when issues of faith arose, when debates had to be settled in the community. These local synagogues were found all over. These Pharisees and teachers of the law, they held the power of deciding who could and couldn't attend the synagogues. And history tells us that to be rejected from these local synagogues was a bit of a social death sentence in those days. Whilst primarily it was a place of worship, of Jewish worship, it was also the local hub, the meeting place, the meeting point of society. This is the place where people gathered, spent their time, they caught up on the news and the gossip of the day. The local synagogue was the town center or WhatsApp group of its day. Basically, to summarize all of that, and just before we read our passage, it's good to understand that in those days, you want to be on the good side of the Pharisees. You want to be on the good side of the, the teachers of the law. If you want to be involved, not just spiritually, but socially too, you want to stay on their good side. Our passage last week ended with the people who knew this man, his friends, his family, his neighbors, people who regularly walked past him and saw him begging on the street. Our passage ended with them asking, how were your eyes opened? And verse 11 of John chapter 9 tells us that he said to them, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. We read last week that this man showed obedience to Jesus by going as he was told to 
and washing the mud from his eyes. And then he was able to see for the first time in his life. What we learned was that Jesus changed his life, that Jesus can change lives, that Jesus is the light of the world, the opener of eyes and hearts. So we're going to pick up our story. We're in John chapter 9. Uh, feel free to follow along uh, if you've got a Bible with you or you can just listen. I'm going to read from verse 13 down to verse 34. They brought, the Pharise- they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Let's pray. Father God, we we give you thanks and praise for giving us your word. Uh, We give you praise that we can come together as your people and open it up. I pray that as we read and consider the, the words that we've read, I pray that you will engage with our spirit. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us, help us to learn pray that you will encourage us where we need encouraged, and I pray that you'll challenge us where we need challenged. Amen. So after this incredible meeting with Jesus for the first time, this life change that has happened to this man, he's brought before the Pharisees, 
in the local, by the local community, all these people around him, to the synagogue. This probably wasn't so much with the intention of having Jesus arrested. We ended chapter 8, um, seeing that, that there was severe opposition to Jesus. But this man is brought before the synagogue, not, not so that there would be evidence against Jesus, but much more likely it was just a way of figuring out how this miracle was possible. They want to know if this man was really made to see by Jesus, and what does it mean for us? How should we respond? That's what they're asking their faith leaders, the community leaders. A man being blind from birth, suddenly having sight, must have some spiritual explanation. They want to know from the Pharisees, from their faith leaders, what they're supposed to make of this event. And then on top of that, there's some controversy as well, because all of this happened on a Sabbath. I'm sure that we'll all remember that this is not the first time we've heard or read of this kind of controversy as we've been going through the book of John. In chapter 5, Jesus healed a man who couldn't walk. When he was healed, this man, following Jesus' instructions, rolled up the mat he'd been sitting on and carried it away. Some of the Jews took issue with this. In their law, it was against the Sabbath to carry a mat. It was against their traditions. That particular point of law, we learned, wasn't taken from the written law of Moses that God had given, but had become a tradition over time. It was just one of a number of new traditions and new laws that weren't given to Moses, but over years of Pharisee rule and, and leadership had evolved to the point that it was even against the law to wear sandals that had metal in them. It was even wrong to cut your fingernails on the Sabbath. Over time, the law had included a whole load of new laws and traditions. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, we see issues of Jesus and his disciples getting instances of Jesus and his disciples getting on the wrong side of the Pharisees and the synagogue leaders due to the issues of breaking their laws and traditions. The laws and traditions that they followed and taught and held rigidly to. When we read chapter 5 a few weeks ago, we learned how ludicrous it was that the Pharisees' concern and their attention and their focus was all around the breaking of their traditions, their laws. What they failed to see was the life-changing event that had happened, that this man could now walk. And most importantly, they were also ignoring the one who had performed such an incredible miracle. Time and time again, as we go through the Gospels, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law found themselves focusing on the wrong thing. They were more interested in the right and the wrong of tradition and mindset more than the life-changing miracles and teaching of the promised Messiah. They rejected the idea that Jesus be, they rejected the idea of Jesus being the Messiah because of the way they viewed the law. But then we read that Jesus himself said that he came to fulfill the law. If you read the Old Testament, you will see that all the way through Scripture, the law points forward towards Jesus, identifies him as being the Messiah, 
the savior of a world that needs saved. We learned in chapter five that the message, in fact, the message of the entire Bible is this. Look at Jesus. Look forward to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who he is, what he is going to do. This miracle is an indication of the Messiah, the promised savior of the world. Three times in our passage, we read the Pharisees trying to figure out what really happened between this man and Jesus. First of all, they asked him, the man himself. After hearing his account, the Pharisees seem to be divided on what, what they think about Jesus. They say in verses 16 and 17, this man is not from God. I'm talking about Jesus. This man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They are undecided. Some are saying, well, surely if he was from God and was getting his power from God, then he wouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. Therefore, he must be a sinner. But the rest are saying, but how could someone who was a sinner do the things that only God could do? And of course, they're right. Only God's power can do those things. Following that road of logic would correctly have led them to the conclusion that Jesus is God. And they asked the man, who do you say he is? He is a prophet, is his response. I think that it's, it's fair to assume that this man who was healed from his blindness that he'd had from birth, I think it would be fair to assume that he is not a theologian, not an expert in the law or the Bible, not a man who has studied long and hard. But he knew what had happened in his life. For him, the conclusion was simple. He had met Jesus. His life had been changed. And the only possible way that that could have happened was that this man, Jesus, was a prophet. Someone who'd been sent by God to bring God's message to the world. What we see is this man's eyes opening more and more his understanding growing and growing. As he grew in faith, he will have grown in knowledge just like we do. It's good to keep thinking and learning and reading and growing in our knowledge of God. Since they can't come to a conclusion, the Pharisees decide to ask this man's parents what they think. As his parents, again, it's an assumption, but I think we can safely say that they know their son well. We can safely make the assumption that they will have been well aware of how significantly and drastically his life had been changed. As his parents, they will have known the struggle and difficulty of his life. They themselves will have been hugely impacted by raising a son who couldn't see. They are more than happy when asked initially to say, yes, he is our son, Yes, he was born blind. But what we read was the Pharisees asking them the question, how does he now see? His parents, rather than confirming his version of events, they say, ask him yourself. John tells us and told us exactly why that was their response. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. 
what John is telling us here is that at that time, there was an active effort to stop people from saying that Jesus was the Messiah. It's hard to believe that his parents hadn't heard the full story of what had happened. I imagine that the moment he could see and washed his eyes and could see, he ran home to share what had happened. It's hard to believe that his parents didn't know the story. That the man who made their son see was Jesus. And it's hard to believe that they didn't come to the same conclusion that many others did. How could they possibly see their son's life drastically changed by Jesus and not believe that this is the Messiah? There is no question. All the evidence points towards the truth about who Jesus is. He is a prophet. This man is from God. I would say that it's very probable that they do believe, but they are aware that saying that in front of the Pharisees, in front of the synagogue, is going to get them into significant trouble. Acknowledging that their son had been healed miraculously by Jesus will most likely mean, at this point, complete exclusion from the local synagogue and therefore society. The synagogue is where their friends and their family meet. It's where they socialize and catch up on the local news and gossip. Being part of the local synagogue was extremely important. And John tells us that they chose this over truth. It's a reality in our lives that the Christian life will involve at times being on the outskirts of society. Our values are different from the world's. Our beliefs are different. Our morals, our reasoning, our motivations, all of those things push us to the edges of society. We are different. As Christians, we are different to the world. And we will have to choose to stand up for what we believe to be right and what we believe to be wrong. We will have to choose to stand up for what we believe to be true and how that impacts our society. We will have to do all of that with mercy and with grace. But we will be identified as Christians as being not of this world. We could look at the negatives of that. We could see that as a thing that would put us off living the Christian life. But we should see the positives. We don't fit in in this world because we are citizens of heaven. Our home is not here in this place. It's an eternity with God. We have a better place prepared for us. We are not of this world. We don't fit in. We are on the edges of our societies. But we belong to a better place. We have a better promise. For this man's parents, it seems the important thing was being part of society, being part of the local synagogue, being involved, not being on the outside, being on the inside common theme that we keep coming back to over and over and over again in the book of John is people fearing people more than God. People caring more about what other people think of them than what God thinks or even what is true. Even when presented with the evidence, even when they can see the truth, 
even when they are aware of their need to repent and give their lives to God, people choose the world instead. This man's parents, as we've read, weighed up the truth with the cost, declaring that Jesus had performed a miracle, that, they had, that he had changed their son's life, and that he was probably the Messiah, or at least from God. The cost of that was rejection by the synagogue, by the community, probably friends and family, and complete social exclusion. They had the chance to stand up for the truth, and they let it pass. The cost was too great. When we consider the cost of living for Christ in our lives today, in our world, it's helpful for us, for us to remember the cost that was paid by him on the cross so that we could know him. After they didn't get the response that they wanted from his parents, the Pharisees turned back to question the healed man again. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. It's pretty clear that tell the truth in this instance doesn't really mean tell us the truth. What they mean is tell us what we want to hear. We already know that, that he is telling the truth. We've read that. We read last week that he is telling the truth. What the Pharisees mean is tell us what we want to hear. You remember as well last week, Jesus said that this man was born blind so that God could be glorified in this situation. The Pharisees say a similar thing. Give glory to God by telling the truth. But they don't want the truth. They want to hear. They, they want him to say what they want to hear. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This here is the gospel. Look at how simple it is. This is the simple summary of the start of the Christian life. I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I am found. All I can say for certain is that my life has been changed. This man's parents chose not to stand up for the truth. But what he is doing is choosing to declare what is true for everyone to hear in the middle of the synagogue. The most important thing for followers of Jesus in this world, from the moment that Jesus began his ministry to this Sunday morning right now, is to do the work of God in our world. The work that we as his disciples are called to do is to share the good news of the gospel. To tell the people in our lives that don't know God all about how he has saved us and how he can save them. In verse 4, Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. The most important thing for us is to love God, live for him, and tell people about what he has done in our lives. To tell the people in our lives that don't know God all about how he has saved us and how he can save them too. 
this call, this mission, this challenge to tell people the good news, to share the gospel with the people in our lives. It's often so intimidating that we never get to it. I'm sure that every one of us that knows God this morning would say that we should tell others about the gospel, and yet often we don't. Sometimes we feel unequipped, we feel unskilled, even unmotivated to do it. Sometimes we think someone else will do it instead and take the burden away from us. But as we read this account of the man born blind, sharing his story in front of everyone in the synagogue, publicly declaring that Jesus has changed his life, that Jesus opened his eyes and changed his life. There isn't anything here to suggest that he is one of the great intellects, that he has great convincing skills, or that he knows every verse of scripture that exists. But what he does is he gives us a model for how to share our faith with other people. This should relax our fears a little bit about the idea of sharing our faith. All he does is share what he knows, that Jesus changed his life. This is my story. Jesus saved me from the life that I had before. He gave me a new life. Our message as Christians to the world is this, he can do the same for you. And Jesus Christ is where life is found. And as Christians, we have to make sure that we don't let opportunities to share our faith story passes by. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What we've read this morning is this man taking his opportunity, being prepared to share. The simplicity of the gospel is here. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. All I can say is my life has been changed. There's no great sermon, no essay, just some simple words. All I know is I was blind, but now I can see. No deep theological explanations, no clever logic arguments, just simple, Jesus changed my life and he can change yours too. Towards the end of our passage, that some of the Pharisees having tried and failed repeatedly to get this man to admit that maybe this is all just a hoax, some kind of trick that they've fallen for. They're trying to get him to tell them the truth that they want to hear. They come out with this declaration, we are disciples of Moses. In saying this, they are flexing the knowledge that they have. They're flexing their position, the status, being leaders of the local synagogue. And there is truth in what they're saying. They are, as Pharisees, as religious leaders, they are descendants and followers, disciples of Moses. As religious teachers, they will be experts in the law in the study of the law. And what they're doing here is making sure that this man and presumably the crowd that had gathered by this point 
knew that there wasn't anything that they could be taught. There wasn't a truth that they didn't know. There wasn't scripture that they weren't aware of and had probably memorized. And ultimately, that there was absolutely no way that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah, that Jesus could possibly be from God. The reality is that the Pharisees, the, really, the religious teachers, they know the law, and yet they seem to have lost sight of the God who gave it to them, the God who gave it to Moses, and the reason that God gave the law to begin with. They are so sure of their opinions and traditions and knowledge that there is no possibility at all they will consider that God could have had any part to play in this miracle. They had come to a point where they believed that any Messiah that would be sent by God would be as obsessed with the law and traditions as they were. That the Messiah would spend all his time at the temple with the other teachers of the law rather than on the streets with the sinners and the sick and the needy as Jesus did over and over again. In reading of these, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, it's almost sad to read because it was never their intention. It was never the intention of any of the Pharisees or the religious teachers to reject the Messiah. They were waiting on him. That's what, they, that's what they were doing. They were waiting on the Messiah that was promised. It was never their intention to reject him when he did eventually come, and yet they did because they only believed that he could be what they would expect him to be. The truth is that the Pharisees didn't know God as well as they thought they did. And what, from what we've read today, it sadly seems they didn't really want to know we have to make sure that we avoid becoming like the Pharisees who missed the Messiah because they thought they knew what he would be like. We need to make sure that our understanding and idea of God is not limited to the extent of what we think he must be like. In the last verses we read, the man who was given sight by Jesus says this, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Jesus is God. He gives sight to the blind. He heals the broken and he saves the lost. That is the gospel that we proclaim. That is the reason we gather as a church, as Christians, to make that truth known. The gospel which saves and brings life is for everyone. I want us to just end this morning by reading the words of Romans chapter 10 together. It'll be on the screen, Romans chapter 10 from verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Ask yourself, if someone that you know and love and care for was to become a Christian, but the only way that that could possibly happen would require you telling them, 
would you do it? People need to hear the gospel. As Christians, we are all sent so that people can hear. Sometimes we think someone else will do it or maybe one day in the future it will happen, but not yet. We might be the only person to share the gospel with someone that we know or love. Maybe we worry that we won't do a good job of it. The exciting news in regard to that is that we are not alone in the work of sharing the gospel. The Bible tells us that the power of the Spirit is bubbling away inside of us. Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, just before he left to go back to heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the sending that started with Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and continues to this day for every Christian. How can they hear unless someone tells them? Our work, our mission is spirit-driven, spirit-powered. And this is such good news because the mission of sharing Jesus with the people in our lives that don't know him is first and foremost a spiritual one. We have to pray that people will come to know Jesus. We have to pray that their hearts will be open to the gospel. And we have to pray that we will be given opportunities to share. What we can see from this blind man declaring, all I know is I was blind and now I see, is how clearly simple sharing the gospel can be. I think we often have this idea that if we're going to be able to tell people about Jesus, then we need to open up the Bible in its original Hebrew or Greek. We need to get out some textbooks, understand and study apologetics, how to answer questions about science, the formation of life, we often think that we have to do the work of convincing people. The reality is that what we have to do is share the story of how Jesus has changed our lives in simple terms and then let the Holy Spirit do the work of convicting hearts and minds. So can I challenge you this week to reach out to someone in your life with the good news? A friend, colleague, a family member, there may be people in your life that you've known for years and years. They may even know that you're a Christian, but they've never had the opportunity to hear about what that means. Find someone who knows that you're a Christian, but has never heard your story of how Jesus has changed your life. Share, share with someone this week what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. John 9, 4 again, as long as it is day, as long as we are on this world, we must do the works of him who sent us. These works and this mission is not one that we have to do alone, but one that we do in partnership with the Messiah, Jesus, and with the power of the Spirit and in the name of the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise and worship for the gospel. We give you praise for the life-changing news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, that he was brought back to life, that new life was found in him. I pray that as we as a church consider our role in the mission 
of sharing this gospel with the world. I pray that you'll give us opportunities, create conversations with the people that don't know you in our lives. We give you praise that the power that is at work in sharing the gospel is from you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict hearts and minds so that people will come to know you, that people will become citizens of heaven, that, will find, that they will find new life in you. I pray that as a church, you will put us to use. I pray that we don't just turn up here on a Sunday morning and hear some words and then go away and not being changed by them. I pray that every single one of us will be put to use by you, will be put to work and share in this good news of the gospel. We give you praise for the word that you give us and pray that you continue working in our hearts and our minds. Help us to continue meditating and thinking and considering what we've read this morning. I pray that it changes us and that you will put us to use in your mission to spread the gospel around this world. Amen.